It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. This is not a negotiation. I'm running this team because the Reinsdorfs want me to, and I'm going to run it that I think is best. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. I think your play is embarrassing. The pro player thing, this is basketball. Follow Locked On Bulls on social media, on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Pat, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Locked On Chai Bulls. Our players buying in, Jim. I, yes. Fair enough. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley. Along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter, at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls on Instagram, at Locked On Bulls. Drop us... All of your texts, your voicemails at 331-979-1369. Whenever you're listening to the show, wherever you're listening to the show, 331-979-1369. Matt, welcome back. Glad uh, glad you didn't have to be around yesterday to uh, dive into that Lakers collapse. <laughs> that second and third quarter was was abysmal at, at the very least. But how you doing? Happy Thursday to you. Bulls head to the West Coast tomorrow, but how you doing? What's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Doing well. Uh, yeah, Lakers game was was not very fun, and uh, we got a 9.30 tip-off to look forward to tomorrow, so those are always fun when we're doing Outsiders at like 1 in the morning uh, to, an, to an audience <laughs> of like 12 insomniacs in the city of Chicago. Uh, Man, you and John, you, John, and Dave, the last time I watched you guys do the West Coast trip, Honestly, your guys' show is the best when it's late night because it turns into it turns into a comedy show and it's honestly hilarious when you guys did the West Coast trip. So shout out to your guys' show, Bulls Outsiders. Anybody who isn't watching, hasn't been watching, you guys need to watch Bulls Outsiders after the post game show, every Bulls game. It's hilarious. That's uh it's kind of you, man. Yeah, I think mostly we we just get a little slap happy on those late night shows because it's like a tip off is it like nine thirty, game doesn't end until like midnight and we're like, you know, all right, let's let's drink some caffeine, let's eat some candy from the vending machines, let's let's do what we gotta do to stay awake to do this show. And then by the time we actually air after all of, you know, a lengthy post game show with Mark and the guys is like, all right, well, anything goes tonight, <laughs> you know, outside of doing something that would get the network in trouble, literally anything goes tonight. Matt, quick thoughts. 
I went extensively into this Lakers and Bulls game yesterday. If you didn't catch that episode, go back and download that. I talked about some historic franchise things that happened between those two quarters, uh, among other things. But I wanted to get your your overall thoughts on that game. What did you think about it? Because you weren't on the episode yesterday. What did you think overall? Yeah, so, I mean, it was definitely a yet another example of the Bulls playing pretty well out of the gate. You know, the Bulls were up 20 on the Lakers at one point early in this game. And then poor execution in the second quarter, uh, in the back end of the second quarter, and then just an, another awful third quarter. The Bulls have had a lot of bad third quarters this season. They had another one Tuesday night. And to me, a lot of it was uh, a combination of getting a little unlucky, uh, missing some good open looks on the offensive end, and then kind of letting that dictate their attitude and their effort on the defensive end, which is actually something that Jim Boylan has pointed out this season, and he's right. Sometimes when the Bulls go through a little bit of a rut on the offensive end, they go through a scoring drought for a few minutes, they they have a couple of uh, you know uh, turnovers, um, that not only does that creep in and then maybe they get a little lackadaisical and then missing good open looks turns into deciding to take bad shots uh, or, or create or, or you know unnecessary turnovers but it also leads to a lack of execution on the defensive end which is really what I saw happen especially in that third quarter as everything was going to shit against the Lakers because it was like it was something crazy like in the third quarter alone the the Lakers had like 22 fast break points because I, you know, I think they put up forty three in the third, and half of them were fast break and or transition buckets, where the Bulls weren't, you know, weren't getting it done on the offensive end, and just basically just quit on defense. No transition defense, not uh, you know, not uh, manning up and and keeping an eye on on the guys that they were supposed to be guarding, and just letting the Lakers walk all over them. So it, it was, you know, it was unfortunate after what was a pretty strong start. Because these were two shorthanded teams, two tanking teams, and you kind of thought it was going to be a, a gross, ugly game and see which team can out-tank the other. But the Bulls came out playing really well. But it was one of those examples of some uh, some unfortunate uh, occurrences on the offensive end leading to just a total collapse on the defensive end. Yeah, I think this is just another case, too, of the starters are running out of gas, man. And without a bench that can come in and sufficiently play anywhere between 12 and 18 minutes a night to give guys a breather on top of that too you had mentioned it there the defense is just starting to disappear and nobody's getting back on defense and then when you're not hitting shots on the offensive side it's leading to a lot of transition points you had mentioned it I said it on yesterday's episode too 24 of the Lakers 28 transition points yesterday came between the second and third quarters that that'll that'll basically cook you anytime Anywhere. The Lakers scored 82 points in the second and third quarter. Matt, that is the most points the Bulls have given up in franchise history in the second and third quarter combined. There's only two other times the Bulls have given up 80 or more points between those two quarters. It came against the Golden State Warriors both times in 2017 and then this year in that awful, awful game in October. The Clay Thompson game where they gave up 92 and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was going to be my educated guess. <laughs> yeah. So 
So yeah, we don't have to dive through all of it, but uh, the other thing that I figured got you pretty upset was uh, watching LeBron throw down two top 10 Sports Center highlight dunks, including the number one Sports Center dunk of the Knights, the number one play, I should say, of the Knights on Sports Center. Um, did that make you angry at all that I mean, for the first time in a few weeks he showed out in front of Bulls fans? No, I, and like we kind of talked about a little bit on on Outsiders Tuesday night. You know, do you get? Uh, and, and it was more about LeBron's Lakers missing the playoffs, but essentially the greater picture of you know, does LeBron's failure bring you joy as a Bulls fan or as an NBA fan? Do you like to see LeBron do well, and are you are you bummed that he's going to miss the playoffs? Uh, it was kind of more like more along those lines, but in in a similar light, as far as like fans who went to the game Tuesday night, some of the biggest cheers of the night happened when LeBron did those awesome dunks. You know, one that was the big near full court bounce pass, uh, I believe, from Kuzma, where LeBron just you know took a very uh, a very nice pass and reverse jammed it, and then the one that came uh, off the backboard. Look, I I, I didn't have any problem with it. Guess what, LeBron, even at age 35 or whatever in season 16, can still show us some of those moments where he wows us with his athletic ability. And as someone who loves to see cool dunks, those were cool dunks. But I I did also like the fact that the Bulls fans at the UC booed LeBron loudly the first time he touched the ball. Because, of course, more so than anything, as a Bulls fan, I'm a LeBron hater. You can respect the guy's talents. You can respect the guy's accomplishments and still hate him and want to boo him every time he comes onto our floor. Because I do, you know, as you said, Jordan, you use the phrase like showing out, whereas recently LeBron has looked like a guy who does not give any crap about the remaining the remaining games of the season. I think he cares when he plays at the United Center. He's got a lot of 30-point efforts in the UC. Like, I think he's got like... F- 16 or 18 or something like that and then the next closest is Allen Iverson with eight as far as opponents with 30 point games at the United Center and I think part of it is because as he said in that SI interview a couple years ago he knows that he's chasing MJ that is the house MJ built you know before it was Jordan rose to power in the old Chicago Stadium and the Bulls won their first three titles there but the United Center which was, you know, built uh, a couple years before the second three-peat as MJ was doing his foray into baseball. That is the house that MJ built. And LeBron, whether or not he denies it, whether or not he's now claiming that the 16 Cavs title made him the GOAT, he knows that when he's in the United Center, he is in MJ's house. And that is why LeBron tends to play fairly well and play all out when he's in Chicago. LeBron does this funny thing too when he answers post game questions and he, just questions in general. You know, he and it went back to this question last night or two nights ago when after the Bulls game, somebody had asked him along the lines of, "If you think about it all, playing in the house that MJ built, blah blah blah, uh, look up in the rafters, whatever, just the experience of playing in the same place Michael Jordan played." He does this weird thing where he'll say, no, I don't really think about it, or no, there's not much I want to comment on about it, and then he follows it up with like a three-minute statement. It's very it's very calculated, but it's also very much credit to LeBron for doing something like that, saying, no, I don't want to comment on it, but here, and then three minutes about it. 
Um, but he did mention, you know, growing up watching the Bulls run on TV and the the starting lineups being called and all of that stuff that will grab you if you're a nostalgic Bulls fan. Um, so credit to LeBron for that as well. But uh, but yeah, watching him do the the dunk where Josh Hart threw it off the backboard and then LeBron came in for the dunk in transition and then he does the little shimmy shake in front of the camera. If I was an older Bulls fan, like during the Michael Jordan era, I would be pretty pissed if I saw that. I mean, like if I was an older Bulls fan, if I was my dad's age, like in his fifties or his sixties, and I saw that last night, I can understand why there were some Bulls fans that were angry about that. It's, but, it's not like LeBron's uh, the only one, you know, puffing his chest out and flossing around. Like, like, exactly. Like Clay Thompson was was just absolutely going off and in showboating when he was here, knocking down threes left and right back in October. Yeah, like so. Chris Dunn does that on the occasional dunk when the Bulls are down twenty. So you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like I have a lot of issues with how LeBron handles himself and 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 his cockiness and the whole Hollywood is hell thing from the from the Heatles days, uh, as Joakim so eloquently put it. But you know. Feeling himself after a pretty sick dunk, yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to complain about that. It's part of why the league is so great, too. And you know, I was even like, I even liked when Bobby Portis did. Like, people would make fun of Bobby Portis for doing it when the Bulls were down 15, and Bobby would throw down a dunk in the fourth quarter when you knew the game was wrapped up. But Bobby would still flex in front of the camera because he made a good play and he was proud of himself. And you know. I just and that's just Bobby being Bobby. You, right. you know, keep an eye on his social media, watch some of the highlights from Wizards games, and he's still doing the same stuff over in Washington, and good for him. All right, let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to take your questions, your voicemails. We got a, a decent amount of follow-up from the questions we've asked you guys early on this week about the conversations we had, not only on Monday, but Tuesday as well. Hit us up, though, 331-979-1369. Drop your thoughts, drop your voicemails. Whenever you listen to the show, wherever you listen to the show, be back in 60 seconds. Stay with us. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Back here on Locked On Bulls, hit us up on Twitter at Locked On Bulls at Jordan C Malley and at Bulls underscore Peck. So we're gonna take your voicemails now. We've got we've got a handful of voicemails to go through. So without further ado, let's just let's hit those and let's hit those hard. The first one up from Jacksonville, Florida. This is Jeremiah. Hey Jordan, Matt. This is Jeremiah. I live in Jacksonville, Florida, and I'm from Chicago. Just want to say I started listening to the podcast that. Uh, Around the draft, right before we drafted Wendell Carter, just want to say love the great content. I listen every single day, every week, and I just appreciate you guys giving out great content. 
But here's my question, though. So I saw Gar Foreman at the uh, Murray State game watching John Morant. I don't want to say that's speculation because Magic Johnson was also there and Larry Fitzgerald from the Cardinals. But the real question is, if we have the opportunity and Zion's gone, should we take John Morant or should we take R.J. Barrett, maybe a more developed, more skilled guard, in my eyes personally? They both have huge upside, but who would you guys pick if you're the Bulls if Zion's gone? John Morant or R.J. Barrett? Thank you, guys. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the compliments, too. Man, we, Matt, you and I, we get tweets. We get texts all the time. I think the last couple of days, even, we get people that have sent us, you know, this is a podcast we didn't, I didn't even know I needed. So thank you to all of our brand new listeners that have just picked up the show the last couple of days, the last few weeks, or people who have been listening for over a year, the last two years. You guys are the best. So thank you. Thank you so much yeah. for listening. I think my favorite one recently was that guy on Twitter who said, Locked on Bulls, love the show, but Bulls Pack comes off as a real dick. Thank you. <laughs> Fires away! Uh, but you to, almost made to, me spit out my coffee there. <laughs> but to Jeremiah's point, well, the first thing I would say, Jordan, then you can touch on your opinion of, you know, Ja or RJ. The whole thing about Gar being at the, you know, the Murray State game, that's one of many. Like, there, there is no secret, and the Bulls are not trying to hide their interest in John Moran. Gar and Paxson have both attended games to watch him play, multiple games. We know that this team is not sold on Chris Dunn as far as being set at the point guard position. We know that this is a shallow draft where Ja has risen a lot of draft boards and behind Zion is arguably a two or three pick. Those are all things we know. So, you know, it's not speculation to say, oh, Gar's at the Murray State game because the Bulls are thinking about drafting John Morant. Of course that's what's going on. Yeah, we've seen it since. I think they followed John Morant's season around for like three, four, five games straight. Like, they went and saw him at Eastern Illinois, play Eastern Illinois. They went and saw him play Southern Illinois. Uh, and there was a few other games back in January, early February, when the Bulls were on the West Coast, where him and John Paxson went to multiple games in a row. So yeah, they're they're going to be at games all the time. But to the bigger question here is, say you get the second pick, which I think that's where John Morant is going to go, likely. John Morant or R.J. Barrett, Matt? I said this at the beginning, back in December and January, I was very skeptical on who John Morant was, what his skills were going to be, and how that was going to translate to the NBA, and especially playing at Murray State's, not knowing the competition level, and I said, let's wait to see how these guys are, all of these top prospects are going to play against their competition level in conference play. Now, R.J. Barrett has kind of slid off his... His numbers, especially his shooting numbers, have been eyebrow-raising. It, it, it hasn't been that great. While John Morant, now the competition level isn't that great, man, the dude has exploded. And I went back and watched a lot of his full games over the last few weeks. Dude, there isn't that much criticism I have of his game. 
other than the three-point shooting, which isn't all that great, I think that can develop over time. The basketball IQ is absolutely absurd. The dude makes passes that I didn't know you could make at his age between behind-the-back passes, the no-look, the full-court passes. His ability to attack the rim with no fear, too, is just absolutely absurd. He can make a shot from 18 feet or in from the most ridiculous clip ever. If it's me, the Bulls need a point guard of the future, and they need it desperately. So as much of as I said, this this draft is wing deep, I think I'm taking John Moran. I'm with you. Um, and I know that the Bulls are one of many teams in the NBA to operate in the strategy of best available as opposed to need. But given the details of who is in this draft – um, and, and where the cutoff of Tier 1 in this draft is, a.k.a. very near the top this time around. If the Bulls get number two, Zion goes one, and they have their pick of anyone else on the board, I I, I, I just think you have to take Ja. There, you know, there are some flaws to his game. There are some flaws to R.J. Barrett's game. But based on this team's glaring need for a point guard that can create for himself and his teammates in a lot of different creative ways. And as you said, the the explosive athletic ability, that is something the Bulls don't have at the point guard position right now. And I think it would be foolish to, to pass on that. RJ Barrett's been better overall from the field the last five games or so, but like we've said, the the three-point percentage hasn't been all that great either. You've got a clog at the wing, too, now that you've got Otto Porter Jr., and that's not to say that you should deter yourself from taking a wing again and developing somebody, and you've got Hutchison, too, but uh, if you're in a position to where John Morant's available and you're at number two, I've always said take the best player available and that's where I'm at. You're accumulating assets. Take the best player available. And if John Morant is the best player available over R.J. Barrett, then do that. And I'm cool with that. But uh, if you're at four and you're choosing a bunch of wings, then take the best player available there, too. So to me, if it's the Bulls, though, I think they're clear cut going to take John Morant if they're there. So I mean, yeah, based on the time that we have seen them scouting him. Clearly, there's an interest there. That I'm more convinced about John Morant's game than I ever have been before throughout this season. The dude can just... He's hes incredible. He's incredible. I just hope that... I hope that game can transition the way that uh, some of the other stars in the NBA that have come from smaller schools can transition. You know, the, the Kawhi Leonard's, the Paul George's, all of those guys that have come from smaller schools. The C.J. McCollum's. Uh, right. I hope it can translate that same way if the Bulls do end up with John Morant, which it it seems like it can. It seems like the dude is just a, an absolute beast. So um, cross your fingers if the Bulls don't land number one. The, you know, the other uh, cherry on top, if the Bulls do go with Ja, is that, you know, it's like a re- it's a Murray State redemption story. For for a Bulls team that was burned by a third times the charm, Isaiah Cannon and yeah, Cameron Payne. Exactly. Now third tri- times the charm. Third time, <laughs> third times the charm, man. Exactly. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. 
Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's head to our next voicemail here. Uh, This one's from the 562. Hey, Jordan. Hey, Matt. What's up, Bulls Nation? This is Sam from L.A. Jordan, Matt, I was wondering what you guys think about free agency. I know there's a lot of holes in the roster right now, but I was thinking if you you two can categorize in terms of, like, guards, wings, and bigs, and and what what guys you're looking for, and what does the team need besides veteran leadership or just talent in general. Uh, everyone take care. Go Bulls. All right, thanks for the call, Sam. Appreciate it. Sam's been a longtime listener of the show, so thanks for the voicemail. So Sam's asking about free agency. This has been just a really hot topic, and this is going to continue to be a hot topic until free, agent hits, free agency hits and July 1st. So... The three biggest positions here in free agency this summer for the Bulls are going to be the point guard position and it's going to be the backup center position. Um, wing position is going to be somewhat important depending on what the Bulls decide to do in the draft. But then again, it goes back to what the Bulls do in the draft. Do they draft a point guard? Do they draft a wing with their top pick? And what do they do with the second round pick? Regardless of that, uh, Matt, I've asked you to do this more in terms of characteristics of guys that the Bulls would be looking at. So for the point guard position for me, characteristics I'm looking for, three-point shooting at a decent clip, a guy that is a pass-first point guard over a score-first point guard, and also a guy that can, can be a veteran, can be a veteran leader. If you're going to lose Robin Lopez this summer and you're going to go... Younger, if you're going to draft a guy in the second round that's going to be a backup big to Wendell Carter Jr., then you need to establish some type of veteran leadership. So those are the characteristics I'm going to look for for the Bulls to sign in a a free agent point guard or multiple free agent point guards this summer. How about you? Uh, I would agree with the pass first with an an ability and a confidence behind the three-point line. I think those things are both key. Uh, And to me... And again, this is kind of, I think, why some people talk about maybe Dunn being the answer as the backup is some defensive ability. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. Get your hands in passing lanes, you know, create some steals for some fast break opportunities, because as this Bulls bench shifts this offseason, as we have seen them struggle mightily this season because you're asking G leaguers to play at an NBA level. Essentially, I think an easy way for your bench unit to keep on par, uh, if not exceed, uh, you know, what, uh, what is going on now and, and what your opponent's bench is doing on a nightly basis is creating easy scoring opportunities. And how do you do that with some elite defensive guards to create those easy pickings, for easy baskets on the other end. Um, I think that's why a lot of people are talking to Pat Beverly right now because he's not a very uh, a very scary threat on the offensive end per se, but as a backup veteran guard, which he would also provide, there's your veteran leadership, Jordan, he could, I think, offset some of a shallow offensively, you know, a, 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 an offensively shallow bench with easy points that stem from great defensive play. 
That's what I like to see from that position. Matt, this is something we can talk about more when the offseason hits, but uh, everybody pointing to Patrick Beverly as a guy that would be willing to take up a backup role. I'm not so sure about that. Like he has been starting and playing starter minutes with the Clippers almost the entire season. Like if you look over the last 30, 35 games, he's playing anywhere between 28 and 35 minutes. Yeah, I don't know what he's going to be looking for, but I would assume if he signs a contract this summer with the Bulls, he's going to be looking to play starter like minutes. So, so yeah, that might be a problem you run into. And and see, that's the thing. Like, I don't love the idea as Pat as our starting point guard. I, he Especially because he doesn't score a whole lot. Exactly, but you know, I mean, we we want Levine and Markkanen to handle the bulk of the scoring in our off in our in our offensive starting five. So it's not like same you, with Otto. You, yeah, and you know, Otto can be a guy who chips in fifteen to twenty a night. So you don't need a, a score first point guard, as you were saying. Um, as far as what Pat Bev is expecting and what he he will want in you know this summer negotiating with most likely a handful of suitors there there is one worry that you know and I think some Bulls fans are maybe setting setting themselves up for failure like he's just a name of a guy who has the skills that I would want for the Bulls addressing that position I think it will be a big surprise and a great achievement if the Bulls are the team that lands his services this summer I don't think that'll happen Cross our fingers, right? I think he wants to go to a playoff team, and if the Clippers land yeah. big, a, a big time free agent this summer, who's to say he wouldn't just stay? You know, and and say, fine, I'll take some, I'll take a cheaper deal just to stay. Yeah. So I get that they've got their young point guard and uh, SGA, and they might be looking to move on. But who's to say the Clippers don't want to be competitive right now and continue to teach him how to how to be a good point guard? So um, a lot of factors, but yes. Uh, as far as real quick, as far as bigs and wings go, the big the big thing goes with uh, I want a guy that can come in and teach Wendell Carter Jr. how to play, and also a guy that's competent enough to be a shot blocker and a rim protector too. So uh, Felicio is not going to be the answer there, and you clearly see it now when he's coming off the bench to try to play fill in and play any type of those minutes. So. A cheap option there, too. Don't spend a whole lot of money, but if it is, if you are going to have to spend a any type of money there, use it on Robin Lopez. Like, clear, clear cut. Don't take that money and go spend it elsewhere. Spend it on Robin Lopez because you already know what you have in him, and he brings so much more than just what you're seeing on the floor, and I think th- that would be enough for me to at least go up from the line that you're willing to spend there. So, uh, again, leadership, willing to teach Carter how to develop defense, shot blocking, and a guy that's going to stay healthy. So, to me, that's going to be important for me, but there's not a whole lot of guys there, and we talked about that at the end of the trade deadline just about a month ago, so... Uh, the picking slim there. Yeah, and, and you know, as far as what the Bulls have, you know, wing depth is something that was an issue. They added Otto, uh, and that immediately fixed a lot, um, knowing that he'll be in the fold for two more seasons. I also was was chatting with Jim Boylan at that uh, a charity event last night, and, and we're going to get more into Jim Boylan and the uh, the great piece that Darnell did for the Athletic in tomorrow's show, so be sure to tune in for that. But Boylan was talking to me about how much he misses Chandler Hutchison, 
Now, I, I know you and I discussed recently, Jordan, you know, Hutch versus Denzel. And you know, what, if anything, do we expect from Denzel next season? He missed an, a, a, a full year with another reparative surgery, and we don't really know what's going on there. But one thing I do know, if Jim Boylan is around, he has high hopes and and and, uh, and is putting a lot on the shoulders of Chandler Hutchison, who could provide some of that wing depth behind Otto. The dude filled in earlier this season when the Bulls were dropping like flies and before they got Otto in that trade and even started him for, you know, for a stretch of games before he got hurt. And I think, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, I certainly was at least encouraged by some of the things I saw from, from Hutch as a potential two-way player at that position, uh, which, you know, certainly a position of need, less so now with Otto, but you still need a solid backup. Um and, you know, the, the Bulls now with between Valentine and Hutch seem to maybe have multiple options at that spot. And who knows? They might if Zion and Ja are gone when the Bulls are on the clock, they might add another wing in this wing heavy draft. So I, I don't think that that will be anywhere near the top of their free agent priority. list. Agreed. And the Bulls have two picks in this draft. And I would assume if they... If it's point guard or wing at the top of the draft, that second round pick is going to be either point guard or wing, right? So you're getting you're getting one of the two with the two picks that the Bulls have in the draft. So you're going to supplement that somewhere. And also don't forget too, uh, Valentine played a lot of minutes at the wing position last year. Selden has been playing a lot of minutes at the three too. So you've got a lot of options. Plus you said Hutchison and the thing that you just said about having the conversation with Boylan, that really doesn't surprise me at all. Man, I went back and listened to what Boylan was saying at the first day he took over, and some of the things that he had mentioned that he wants to see improved about the team back in December, um, a few things, defensive rebounding, transition defense, screening, cutting, passing, physicality, and attention to detail. Chandler Hutchison, we talked about it when they drafted him. One of the best defensive rebounders in his conference, and then when he was inserted and played a lot of minutes, really good at defensive rebounding. His screening and his cutting to the basket when he was scoring, he was like the only dude actually making back backdoor cuts and getting to the basket and wide open. So that doesn't surprise me at all. It's just, it doesn't surprise me at all that Chandler Hutchison is one of Jim Boylan's favorites and he's missing him so desperately right now. So with all that length and that speed... Um, that doesn't surprise me. So, uh, yeah, I am. I was very encouraged, and it was it was tough to see him go down, especially because of the way he was playing in those two weeks leading up to his injury. Um, thanks for the call, though, Sam. Let's get on to another voicemail here. This one comes from the seven seven three. Hi, this is Barry. I'm a long time listener. I listen to today's show. I just want to call in and say, Merit, I'm disgusted by your comments about Carmelo. That guy was trash in his prime. Like, come on. The white one, what, three different, three, three, three player of the years and what, one MVP. That is way better than what Carmelo had. He got one all in game to count for and He's just a trash guy. But other than that, love the guy, love the show. And I'm really glad that Zach is injured right now because he's the top five player right now. And the NBA averaging up to 26 and five. I'll take that any night. And the fact that he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. It's going to be cool with me and boost the lottery standards, but disgusted by the Carmelo comments. Disgusted by it. I can't believe you said that out your mouth. Prime Dwight versus Prime Carmelo is not even an option. I'll take an MVP in the finals appearance 
every time. And I also want to get you guys a best case scenario and worst case scenario on the lottery because I also feel like if we were able to get Zion in someone, this will enable us to get probably in the conversations of a superstar this summer and next summer with the improvements of Zach and Larry. I feel we are way better now team than was, what, six months ago. Let me get you guys a pain ass. All right, thanks for the call, Darian. Appreciate you listening every single day. Um, so uh, unhappy, Matt, with your your take on the Carmelo versus Dwight prime and our argument really wasn't Dwight Howard versus Carmelo Anthony in their primes but it was more who had the bigger fall off after their primes and after getting to the MVP level but uh, Darian agrees with me that I think uh, Dwight Howard had a longer stint and I thought he was maybe arguably better at his position but I also said it was tough to compare the two at their positions and also with Carmelo having to battle LeBron at their their same positions it it was super tough but uh but yeah what do you think and also we'll get to his uh Zion question and also about the Bulls in a second uh yeah so Darian uh sorry to burst your bubble buddy but you are misremembering history you gotta do your homework man Darian is correct that Dwight won three DPOYs, I believe, three straight years from 08 to 2010. Um, He is wrong in his claim that Dwight has an MVP because he don't. Dwight never won an MVP award. So I don't know what Darian's thinking and what Darian thinks he remembers there. Dwight has never won an MVP. Um, I mean... I understand if you feel like I slighted Dwight. I I never meant to say that, you know, the Dwight in his prime wasn't a great player. I think he was. But when you talk about what brings value to an NBA team, a scoring champion is always going to be more valuable than a defensive center. I'm sorry. That's just true. And Dwight was not just a defensive center. I think in his, you know, in his prime, he could score the ball uh, and and was a pretty efficient scorer working in the post, but was always a terrible free throw shooter, uh, which always, you know, as as what you can provide on the offensive end is always a weakness and a big one. Um And, you know, it's it's the same weakness that Shaq had, but Shaq was a much better uh, well-rounded and formed offensive player. Dwight never put the work in to be a dominant post scorer, in my opinion. And that's why I think that, you know, he's between that and his attitude bounced around so many times after leaving Orlando because I think a lot of people were disappointed in the fact that he didn't put the time in in his youth to perfect his game so that as he aged and his athletic ability started to wane, he was not nearly as effective as he was. So in that sense, it's actually towards your argument, Jordan, that he had the fa- the higher fall off than Mello. I went with the argument that Mello started from higher than Dwight, thus has fallen farther. Um, because, I mean, n- neither are playing right now, but you've seen what Mello has done or hasn't done his recent stint on the court with Houston, and it was pretty bad. Uh, but come on, man. I, like, you're going to argue with me Dwight over Mello don't use false information. Dwight never won an MVP. 
And that's where I'll end that. Maybe you got tripped up when about the comments where we were talking about uh, a lot of people thought that he should have Dwight Howard should have won the MVP over Derrick Rose in that same year where there was a ton of conversations about that. A lot of people didn't think Derrick Rose should have won the MVP that year. They sh- they thought Dwight Howard should have won that MVP. Dwight Howard came I mean, second in that MVP coulda, voting. Shoulda, woulda, but yeah, but he didn't win. Carmelo Anthony's MVP award shares, so where he was put in for uh, MVP voting, 2003-2004, he was 14th. 2006-2007, he was 15th. 2007-2008, he was 13th. 2009-2010, he was 6th with 5% of the votes. 2012-2013, he was 3rd. That was his highest year ever with 39.3% of the votes. And then 13-14, he was 15th again. Uh, Dwight Howard, MVP voting, he was 5th, 2007-2008. 2008-2009, he was 4th, 27.1% of the vote. 2009-2010, he was 38.9% with 4th. 2010-2011, he was 2nd with 53.1% of the vote. And then 2011-2012, he was 7th. So, he was top 10 in that reign of five years and the MVP voting. So fall off might not have been as hard as Carmelo's was. And Dwight did bounce around from a bunch of other different teams as opposed to Melo, who went from the Nuggets early on in his career to the Knicks where he hung around and just kind of was the number one option there and did a lot of the scoring. Whereas Dwight bounced from Orlando to the Rockets to the Lakers and then did the whole stint with the Hawks and the Wizards and just did the whole weird thing. But he tried to reform his career and reshape his body, so he was trying to do the... Can't forget yeah, Charlotte. And Charlotte, too. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. The conversation is interesting, though. So, nonetheless, let's get to his Zion question really quick, though. The Bulls are better in a better position right now than they were six months ago, maybe at the start of the season, where all the optimism was super high on this team, and the track of this team and this rebuild... Do you feel like it's it's better, it's worse, about the same, or how are you feeling? Because Darian says he feels like it's it's better than it was six months ago. I, I mean, I think it's unequivocally better than it was six months ago. Uh, and particularly because of what we saw in the month of February. And particularly because of what we saw from the two most important pieces of this rebuild so far in the month of February. Levine and Markkanen dominated. They looked great. And to me, Markkanen has had a, a little bit of a shooting slump here in March. Levine has missed a few games with a sore knee. He may or may not come back tomorrow night. Uh, talking with Boylan, he's he's optimistic that, that Levine's not done. And that's a different conversation about whether or not that's a wise move to play him when the Bulls have nothing to play for. But, you know, even still, with this Levine uh, minor injury and marking in with a, with a shooting slump, I think unless you are a 100% pessimism, burn everything across the board Bulls fan, and the, I know that some of you are out there, hashtag Firegar Packs drones who refuse to see any positives or any light at the end of any tunnel, and I'm I'm getting pretty damn sick of you people, by the way. Unless you are that kind of Bulls fan, you can't deny the signs of growth and optimism with this team. 
you can be unhappy about the auto trade because you think he was overpaid or is overpaid and you were a fan of Bobby and or Jabari. I think you're wrong. I think that was a great trade. I think that it is abundantly clear from day one how much Otto Porter helps this team and this starting five and is a great veteran leader who already has become well-liked by his teammates. You can't deny that you could that that we should feel better now than we did six months ago when there were so many unanswered questions. Can I just say this too, Matt, that it's it's not a bad thing to change your to have a changed opinion either. Like maybe there's Bulls fans out there that feel like, oh, if I have a different opinion now than I did maybe six months ago or a year ago, that all of a sudden I'm a flip flopper. Or that uh, I need to stick to my guns on my opinion or something. Now that you have seen different things happen and you've seen some stuff develop or you've gained new information, you can have a different opinion. You can have a changed opinion and you should. Right. You shouldn't stick to one opinion just because you feel like you need to stick to your guns on something because you are right. That's not the way that our world should even work, right? Right. And you and I feel that same way and we've we've admitted when we were wrong or admitted that our opinions have changed on things because we've seen stuff change and we've we've gotten new information. I agree with you though on this. I agree that the rebuild the rebuild is in a better position than it is now in the short term, but this summer is very important. So I think that there is a there's a roadblock this summer that I think the Bulls need to get over, or a speed bump, I at least would say. If they can get over that speed bump and figure out how to manage that, this rebuild could continue on to be really, really good. I think that was the biggest question mark, is Lowry going to take that step? And then when the injury happened, we were all really worried. Is Zach going to be able to come back, and is he going to develop? We were all kind of worried about that, but we were all optimistic. Now that this month has happened or this five weeks has happened and we've seen that between those two guys and then Otto with that trade, well, I was I was okay with it, but I was a little bit worried that uh, he was going to come here and he wasn't going to be as good. I've seen good things from him and I, I'm so happy to have him and he looks great with Lowry and Zach and he looks perfect for this system. So I'm happy about that too. It makes me feel a little bit better about this rebuild. So yes. I think we're on the right track. I just think that this summer is very, very important. There's still a speed bump in the next four to six months that the Bulls need to get over and to make sure that this stays on the right track and you don't get derailed. Yeah, I I mean, I think the potential is there for the Bulls to make a big leap next season. Uh, And you've heard people talk about it from media to people within the organization. You know, Michael Reinsdorf in his recent interview said that he sees that potential next year. It's easier to make a big leap when you have a lot of young talent and are coming off of a season that got derailed by injuries and a coaching change that kind of muddled things up a bit and a month where you essentially were not caring about losing because your coach wanted to slow things down, eliminate mistakes, and that led to a lot of ugly basketball where Boylan said as a part of that interview that we'll get to tomorrow, he didn't necessarily care if what they were doing wasn't working. He was doing it to teach and to and to make a point. And whether or not you agree with that, whatever. It's it's what led to a lot of losses in December and January. So that being the case, if the Bulls are healthy and add a little bit more talent to this very young talented team, 
they can make a big leap next year. Well, I, I do believe that. I'm I'm not going to sit here like C Red Fred and talk about 55 wins next season, which, by the way, is something he has said recently on Twitter. Just take a chill pill, Fred. But if they and, and and I agree with you that like even though we all know that they aren't going to be big players for the biggest names of free agency, this summer is very important because we know they need to address the point guard position, and we know that their bench has lost them a lot of games this year because it's shallow, because it's weak, because it's not up to snuff. So how they address free agency with the money they have to spend, filling out the roster and potentially adding uh, a second or third tier point guard veteran, those moves could determine the Bulls going from a 20-win team this season to maybe closer to a 40-win team next season. And I don't think that thinking any of this and having some optimism about what you're seeing on the floor and the players in general doesn't mean that you can't still have a lot of questions and a lot of confusion and a lot of a lot of question marks about what has gone on and still wonder if the front office can do can can build this back up and still have a lot of question marks right. about what's going on with ownership and if if they're if they're ready to build this and bring this to the next step which is that third step I've always been talking about is how do you get the stars right exactly that's you know that's a part that you're still very much allowed to be skeptical of I know I am I think you are too and the whole idea of Paxson denying a negative perception across the league and and and, and Reinsdorf sort of defending Paxson in those comments when you and I sit here on a daily basis and talk about that perception that does exist so those worries are still there those concerns are still there and nothing that has happened this season has assuaged my concerns in that regard as to big picture stuff at the top of this organization very much so those concerns still exist but that doesn't mean you can't admit that on the court and with some of these still very young players, there were signs of growth this year. You can you can feel and believe both of those things. Yeah, because we've seen rock bottom happen. I mean, we've seen that happen this season, and we've also seen this team look like how they were supposed to in year two. So you, t- you have to take all of these factors and then use that to gauge where you feel right now. And uh, that's why I said like a lot of this you have to use to evaluate your opinion overall and that's what I think you and I try to do on this show on a daily basis and it, it it's hard when so many so much of this has happened in just one season and you don't want to tend to forget what's happened at the beginning but you also don't want to exclude what's happened recently so just use all of that to make a educated and an intelligent and informed opinion. And that's all we ask, and that's what we try to do here. So with the Zion thing, too, I think that's just difficult to answer at this point. It's like, let's not get ahead of ourselves, and let's not uh, let's not break our hearts right now. Let's just kind of focus on what we've got here and see where the lottery and Let's see where we land as far as positioning goes at the end of the season, and then maybe talk about that. Let's get to our last voicemail, though, before we wrap up. This one comes from the 608. Hi, guys. My name is Tim John. I'm calling um, from Wisconsin, but I'm from Chicago. I was calling because I had a trade idea, um, and it basically involves Mike Conley for Chris Dunn, Valentine, Felicio to make the trade work for the numbers, and like a pick, a future pick, or a second-round pick or something. Um, and 
traded them into the cap space we have this summer if we fail to get any of the other available point guards like uh, Rosier or Brogdon or Rubio. Uh, just want to know your thoughts on that. Thanks a lot. Have a great, great day, guys. All right. Thanks for the call, Tim. So this is uh, we had a similar trade to this at the deadline, Matt. Uh, something centered around Mike Conley. So if the Bulls are going to do going to look at something to try to upgrade at the point guard position, maybe this summer or not even this summer, maybe you're going into the middle of the season next year and Mike Conley is once again back on the market. Are you interested in all at that? And maybe something centered around this deal. I know Memphis is still trying to they're they're in the position of rebuilding again. Look, Mike Conley makes a, a, a ton of money, a ton of money. And you, the only way you're going to make this work is if, like he said, if you have to, you have to include Felicio in this deal. And I know that's the eye popping one that you heard. And a lot of fans are going, what the hell is that? You ain't no Michael Jordan. Realistically, you're going to have to include him in this deal. So would you want him first of all? And second, how do you entice the Grizzlies enough to pull off a Mike Conley deal that would, would have to include Felicio? Uh, well, it's not enough as uh as this caller suggested to only throw in a pick cuz i'm sorry making you take felicio giving you chris dunn and denzel valentine it is not enough of a sweetener even if the bulls gave memphis their their first round pick this year they the grizzlies would say no to that uh, i don't know about that man the Utah Jazz offered Grayson Allen in their first round pick, and the the Grizzlies thought about it. Did they do it? And the Utahs, no, but they thought about it. What? That's not the same as there doing it. There were other it. deals that were not. No, the there were other deals on the table though. And Mike Conley's making thirty two million dollars next year, thirty two point five million dollars next year. Mike Conley isn't the the star level player that I think a lot of people picture and envision him as anymore. Mike Conley's a borderline. He's tier two, tier three. No, like, I mean he's yes, he's he's on the wrong side two. of thirty, but he's don't tier be that. Two. Like he is tier two. Like there's. There's a tier reason he got two, that fine. contract. Yeah, it was probably, you know, it, not probably. It was an overpay. Um, but You're not trading he, a lottery pick I, for Mike Conley, though, dude. I'm not saying that, that Mike Conley is that valuable. I'm saying that the combination of making people take Felicio, Dunn, Valentine, and True. a pick is True. not as valuable as Mike Conley. I think it's ridiculous to debate against that. And, you know, unless the, unless the pick is the number one, that the Bulls, which, you know, and I don't think the Bulls would offer that unless they're just not that in love with Zion or they're not that in love with Ja. I don't think they would do, I, I don't think they would do that if it is the number one. And I don't think the Grizzlies do it if it isn't the number one. He's got $22.4 million guaranteed now because he played in at least 55 games this season. So uh, that's triggered. So now he's fully guaranteed that money uh, for his final season when he's. Uh, 32, so he's got two years left, roughly $55 million left on that uh, on that deal. So you would have him for two years. That's a ton of money, and you still have Otto Porter for those two years. So, But my question would go back to why are you trading for him? What's the point? Are you trying to win a championship, and are you ready to do that? Probably not. So what's the point in doing that? I mean, he would be a veteran point guard um, on a team that needs some veteran help and leadership and needs a point guard. 
I, I, I see why. Like, you know, my uh, my outsider's buddy John was talking to me the other day about how he thinks Conley would be a great fit for this Bulls team. I, I mean, I, I think great is a bit of a stretch. And then as, as you were talking about, Jordan, with his contract, all of a sudden the Bulls would be faced with a dilemma of we got Otto on the books for two more years. We got Levine's contract, which isn't, you know, over bloated, but it's not nothing. And then we have a 32-year-old Mike Conley. What do we do with this 32-year-old Mike Conley who needs a new contract? That is a not a pretty decision to face soon after acquiring him, based on the fact that the Bulls, I, I, you know, I, I think, not I think, I know, are still at least a couple of years away from real, honest to God contention. It's a, it's an interesting stopgap idea of yeah, this team needs a veteran, and it would be great if that veteran is a point guard who's an above average point guard in this league, and Mike Conley checks all those boxes. Big picture, I don't love the idea. And this particular caller with their suggestion of what the Bulls would send to Memphis, I'm sorry, Tim, you're you're dreaming if you think the Grizzlies take that deal. Yeah, the only way the Grizzlies take that deal is if they're really trying to get off Mike Conley's money. And that would be to the point of they feel like they can be in on some of the top free agents in the next year. And the Bulls likely aren't going to be in that position because they don't have the money. And has... And when has any free agent ever said, I'm going to Memphis? <laughs> right. I want to go to Memphis. And the only reason why free agents would do that is if, if, say, Memphis ends up winning the lottery and they end up landing Zion and then they've got Zion and Jaron Jackson Jr., right? And then they've got all this cap space. And even still, right? established stars don't want to go play with first and second year players with a lot of potential. They want to play with other stars in big market cities. Unless they, unless they want to be the number one guy with two other potential franchise-changing players. That's all I'm saying. I mean, can you name off the top of your head several examples of a legit superstar caliber player in the league who went to a small market team because he liked the young talent they had? And by young talent, I don't mean first or second time all-star. I mean an incoming rookie and a rookie, Jaron Jackson Jr., who had a nice year, missed some time, played some time, is not a franchise changer in my opinion because I can't think of examples of big name free agents going to a situation like that yeah I yeah you're right but it's it's a long shot like I said yeah but uh that would be the reason why Mike Conley would get dealt is they were trying to get off the books from that money and just reset there's going to be other teams who are going to be looking to trade for Mike Conley that are in more of a position to go after it in the next few years than where the Bulls are at. So, but yeah, Mike Conley would be interesting. I just don't think the Bulls are in a position where they can make moves like that to match the salary. Thanks for the call, though. Appreciate it. Anybody who else wants to drop voicemails for us, 331-979-1369 is the place to do that. That's going to about do it here on Locked On Bulls. We're streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Valley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Our text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation. Have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked On Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.